a little bit more. Let's go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. And that is our topic of discussion, the benefits of believing God. And I want to read the first four verses. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. So, of course, Hebrews 11, we understand, is a chapter about faith, and it talks about it in just about every verse. But it is also a chapter about vision. And if you look at verse 10, you can see where it speaks of Abraham said, He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. But then also, you can see in verse 27 of Moses, it says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So you can find a number of references also in this chapter that deals with vision. But also, you can find that this chapter is one that deals with testimony. In verse 2, You see, it says, by it, the elders obtained a good report or testimony. You'll notice that in verse number five, when speaking of Enoch, it said before his translation, he had this testimony. Look at the preceding verse of Abel, God testifying of his gifts. Look at verse 39. And these all having obtained a good report or good testimony Through faith. So I want you to pay attention to that because as we spend a number of weeks looking at some of these different aspects of it, I think it'll speak to us quite clearly as we see what it is that uh, brings blessings to us by trusting the King. Now, verse 1 again faith is the substance. So this is basically an assurance, a confidence that we have before it even appears. You know, one little phrase, I believe God. That pretty much says it all when we're talking about faith. I believe God. Let's say those three words. I believe God. That, that essentially gives us the, the, the core of what we need to know regarding faith because hope rests on the foundation of faith. If you don't believe then you don't have anything or any reason to hope for something in the future. And since hope is related to the future, tomorrow can't change unless you believe for today. It's important for you to believe today. Your your tomorrows are contained in the decisions that you make today. And if faith is evidence, then I need to know that even though it is not visible just yet, I can still say I believe God. Despite the circumstances, despite how people are acting, I can still say I believe God. If you're praying for a loved one to become a Christian, even if they begin to act out even more, you can still live with I believe God. 
and expect things to change. Now, Romans kind of says it this way. You can call things that are not as though they what were. See, you are. That is to say to to envision it and believe that God's going to bring about the change before it occurs. So if you're believing God for your husband to become a great cook or baker. See, you're, 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 you're believing God for for your, your husband to actually clean the house and help. See, or vice versa. Come back to Hebrews 11. Look at verse two. The, uh, the elders obtained a good report. So that means a, a good testimony, a good record can be acquired, but it can only be acquired by faith. You're not going to get it any other way. Now, what what is a good report? We've told you that's a testimony. We, we need to at least try to distinguish between a good report and a bad report. So let's go to Numbers 13 and look at the 12 spies that were sent out by Moses. And I want to remind you as you go to Numbers 13 that there were 12 individuals sent out by Moses because God told them to do it. And when he sent them forth, they were to travel several hundreds of miles to get through these areas where the enemies were. In verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. That's a pretty vast area. And said, get you up this way southward and go up to the mountain and see the land and what it is, the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak. And you can see in verse 25 that they returned after 40 days. Now, that's basically a month and a half. If you spent 40 days with someone and you were with them all day, all night, sleeping in the same camp with them, conversing with them. Do you think you'd probably know a little bit more about them at the end of 40 days than you knew at the beginning? Absolutely. You, you'd know about uh, their preferences. You may even learn something about some of their fears, because the, the further that these 12 men moved from the camp of Israel into proximity with the enemy, then we understand that that in the hearts of 10 of these men, fear grew. But in the hearts of two of them, faith grew and they were looking at the same thing. And they were traversing the same country and they were carrying the same grapes, the fruit of the land. And they brought all of that back. And when they came back, the scripture says towards the end of the chapter that Moses gathered all the people. And so verse 27, they told him, they said, look, we went to the land that you sent us to. I'm telling you, it is beautiful. And here's the fruit. And they brought out them big grapes and everything else. So the, and they said the people, though, they're strong and the cities are walled and, and very great. And we saw the children of Anak. And when the people heard Anak, they knew we're dealing with giants now. These are people that are bigger than us, stronger than us, possibly, uh, you know, more numerous in, in certain areas. But verse 29, then you've got Amalekites and Hittites and other places. So there were all these different people they came in contact with who had different cultures, but spoke the same language. But their dress and habits were different. And this thing so disturbed the congregation that they all basically started murmuring, complaining and whining. And how do you know that? Because in verse 30, Caleb had to calm the people and steal the people. Say, hold on, hold on. Let me have your attention. And he said, look, I know you heard what all of them said, but I'm telling you, we're well able to take the land. 
Now that's the difference between Caleb and Joshua and these other people. They all saw the same thing, but fear was, was in the hearts of 10 of them and faith was in the hearts of two of them. So what's in your heart? When, when you approach the circumstances that you're facing, the obstacles that you're looking at, are you the kind of person that's going to look at all of these problems and say, look, there's just no way on this earth we're ever going to get out of this. Or are you big enough, strong enough, determined enough to believe that your God who lives inside of you can empower you to overcome the enemy? So then it says in verse 31, the other men said, we're not able to go up for they're stronger than us. And they brought up what kind of a report? Evil report of the land. See? Now let's go back to Hebrews 11. It said, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. So I can assure you that the elders that the writer is talking about are not the ten that were afraid. He's talking about the one that trusted God. Now, we, we, we're not under the impression that, that uh, we don't have to battle anxieties and concerns and frets and things like that. But I want you to understand that you can believe God no matter who you're facing and no matter what is in front of you. If you've got to move from one destination to the next destination, if you have God with you, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. He'll calm your hearts. He'll make sure you've got peace inside of you. So we all want a good report because a good report is a testimony. Now, when I was a little kid, they, they used to give out report cards. And so, you know, in elementary school, you, you could get a U for unsatisfactory, uh, S for satisfactory, and so on and so forth. So every kid that had sense would go out of their way to try to get a good report card. I mean, you didn't want a, a bad one. You know, some kids had parents that would give them, uh, you know, an allowance or money or something like that. My, my dad always told me, he said, look, you're not going to school for me. You're going to school for you. I'm not paying you to go down there. You don't do anything all day long but sit there at the desk and listen to somebody talking right on paper. Why do I need to pay you for that? So he told me, well, of course, when you get older, it really becomes important by the time you start hitting ninth grade or so. Because now all of these grades are going to accumulate and it's going to produce a grade point average and things like that. And some of you who were in school, you probably, you know, you might have been like Tiffany. Tiffany was she was allergic to to B's and C's. All she had, all she got were A's. That's that's pretty much all she, she knew. But then but then there are probably a few of you in here that that were more like me. You were addicted to B's and C's. And you were quite happy to see them. And in some classes, a D might have even crept in there every now and then. But but here's the point. You wanted a good report because if you get enough good reports and testimonies, you got to go from one grade to the next. That's not like today. They just pass you along whether you do the work or not. But But when I was a kid, we had folks that if they didn't do the work in second grade, they repeated it. And if they didn't do the work in fourth grade, they repeated it. And if they didn't do it the next time, they repeated it again. And, and there's something about being 13 years of age sitting in a little classroom with a bunch of other seven and eight year olds with your little knees up against that little chair that'll make you do some work so that you can finally get out of that grade. Well, we all want 
a good report. And this is what these folks in Hebrews 11 received. They were not perfect, but they had an excellent spirit and they believed God and they did the best they could with what they had. And whatever they didn't understand, they still trusted God. Are you like that? You know, some people have to have all the answers, but God's not going to give you all the answers because the scripture says we go from faith to what? Faith. See, from faith to faith. You go from one point of belief to the next point of belief. Look at verse number three. So it's, it's by faith then that understanding comes. So faith becomes the instrument for understanding the creation of the world as we know it. The universe and everything that the satellites show you up there in space. All of this exists because God made it. But it is by faith that we have understanding that Genesis 1 is true. Now, Someone who doesn't have faith and doesn't believe in God, they don't believe in Genesis 1. But if you don't believe in Genesis 1, it's quite likely you won't believe in Genesis 3. And without Genesis 3, then you don't have a record of sin. And without a record of sin, then there's really no need to believe in Genesis 6 and so on, because without a record of sin, there's no need for judgment. And then without judgment, you just followed all the way through. You're not going to believe God took a man and from that man created a nation and out of that nation brought a redeemer. And that redeemer would come and then be crucified and buried and raised again from the dead. So faith provides us with understanding of these things. Now, you don't have to wrestle and fight with scientists because scientists, depending on uh, what it is they're dealing with in their discipline, most of them find the Bible to be irrelevant anyhow. So they've already banned God and they've come up with alternative theories for why things exist and why things are the way they are. But I want you to understand that having faith in God is what causes us to trust the book. Either you believe this book or you don't. If you're a Christian and God is your Lord and your master, you have to believe this book over any textbook. See, a textbook might come along and say, well, you know, in the beginning, really, there weren't they weren't seven days in a week with a Sabbath. There, there really were nine. Now, you can believe that or you can just believe the Bible. Or somebody comes along and, and says to you, we have a way of accounting for all things without believing in God. I'll laugh and say, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because things are not changing as often as people want to say they're changing today. You can still go to the zoo. And even though people say we come from apes and gorillas and stuff, sometimes you, you, can, you can put an easel and a dry erase board in front of any gorilla in a cage and he can't draw anything at all. After, after thousands of years, he still can't, can't draw anything at all. So then again, the worlds were framed by God's word. God spoke and things came into existence so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That's actually quite comforting. If you think about it, if something that is visible to your naked eye or visible or should say visible to your eye, naked before your eye, if, you, if that can create something, then that can become your God. But God doesn't have anything that is a rival to him or anything like that. Okay, then. Well, think about it this way. 
Faith then gives us a new set of faculties and a new perspective. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, except a man is born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But except a man is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Certain things are only visible when you know God. That's it. Certain things are only visible. You, you, you won't distinguish between what is evil and what is holy without faith in God. And without faith in God, everything is the same. And without sin, of course, then absolutely there's no need to talk about any need of redemption. And so this is why in so many different areas of, of uh, education today, people have gotten rid of God and they don't know what to do with anything. So since you don't believe in creation, you don't believe in sin. So how do you account for the evil that's in the world? People go out and commit crimes. They do horrible things. And because the psychiatrists and the psychologists and the psychotherapists don't deal with the issue of sin, no one has a way of handling it or explaining it. Well, look a little further here. When we come to Abel, then talks about a more excellent sacrifice. Now, you would wonder why the writer didn't start with Adam and Eve. And you might think, well, Adam and Eve sinned, so no sense in talking about them obtaining it by faith. Well, there's a whole lot of other folks in Hebrews chapter 11 that sinned too. So we don't want to make that the issue. Why Paul doesn't begin with Adam and Eve, I'm not sure, but I will tell you this. Adam and Eve sinned and were put out of the garden, and they obviously taught their children about God. Because here Abel is a shepherd, Cain is a farmer, and they both knew to approach God, you know. And so that tells me that even after they were put out of the garden, God still had a relationship with them somewhat and was approaching them. Now, that's important because, you know, a lot of times when you hear people describe Adam's sin, they act like God just totally cut them off and had nothing to do with them again, you know. But that's not what happened at all. They still had a relationship. It was just a different relationship, and it was a relationship outside of the Garden of Eden. Now, what makes me excited about Abel is, is his attitude and his approach to God. Here is a man who, despite his mother and father's failures, was not hindered in his faith in God. How many times have you met people who have said, I would have faith in God, but you, you don't you don't understand how I was raised. My parents weren't believers. They didn't love God. They were hypocrites. They didn't do this. They did do that. And then people just decide I'm not serving God at all. Abel wasn't like that. He wasn't like that. He had a relationship with God, a vital relationship with God that was based on more than God having made mama and daddy. And that's what you have to have. It's important to have that because if you're if you're if you're going to point to the failures of people in your past and the people in your lineage, then all you're going to do is just whine and complain and use excuses to never get anything done in life. There are plenty of people like that. Yeah, plenty of people like that. They're they're in their 60s now, some uh, in their 40s or 50s, and uh, they'll tell you, well, my life could have been on a totally different track, but the decisions my mom and dad made messed me up. And, and so then you, you start asking questions. Well, how old are you? I'm 58. Well, how long have you been an adult? 40 years. 
You mean to tell me in 40 years you couldn't have made decisions to contradict or counteract the, the, the decisions your parents made when you were a kid? You could. You should have. If you have known God, you definitely would have. But many people spend their time constantly complaining about what happened in their past. Not Abel. Abel had faith in God. And, and you can see here in, in, in verse, verse 4, it says that he offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. He went out of his way to bring something when it was, you know, calving time amongst the livestock. This man looked for the best of what was born and he brought it to God. Cain, on the other hand, was slightly different. Cain, rather than searching throughout all of the produce and harvest that's coming forth, he didn't bring God his best. And the reason I know that, because whether or not it was excellent produce, he brought something with a bad attitude. And it's your attitude and your motive that'll mess up your sacrifice. And that's why the Bible says of Cain, he was that wicked one. So what do you offer to God? How do you offer it to God? God loves a cheerful giver. Are you happy about being able to give to God? Some people aren't. There are plenty of people that anytime giving comes up in a, in a teaching or in a, in a, a message or a track that they read or something like that, they instantly go to complaining. And, and I've met plenty of people out here in the heartland where I've been sitting around with folks at coffee and then some old rancher or farmer go to complaining about churches, all in the middle of money hungry people. All they do is everyone talk about cash and you, every time you look up, they're having a fish fry meal or something like that, try to raise money for this or for that. And, and here's a man that have a problem at all smelling a brand new truck every other year. And it doesn't bother him at all to drop three quarters of a million dollar on a combine because it's, it's bringing in a harvest. But when you talk about souls, he has no vision for it. He can't even understand it. See, by faith, you understand these things. See, totally blind, utterly blind to the truths of God. And plenty of people this evening are, are sitting at home in a chair or at a table or maybe at work and mocking what they see on television. And people that they hear on radio who are talking about Jesus because they don't understand that we need to bring our offerings to God. God goes out of his way to bless you, to prosper you. Think about that. I'd say 75% of the people in the United States of America will be millionaires by the time they reach retirement age. Now you, you think about this. Somebody turns 18 and let's say they get a job that is paying them, oh, $20,000 a year. Okay, 20000 So we'll say 20000 times 10 years, 200000 Then make it forty. see? And then just keep doing the math, and you'll find out that, that most people, by the time they come from their teenage years to retirement, at least a million dollars comes through their hands. You know the difference? Usually the expenditures are greater than the amount that's coming in. Now that's, that's obvious because you have unexpected things that, that happen. And when you, you have a lot of mouths to feed, then of course things are, things are pricey. But it's very rare today to find anybody that makes it to the age of 70 that hadn't seen at least a million dollars come through their hands. 
And people who, who, who have that and come to the end of their life, when they look back, can they say like Abel, I offer to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain? We should be able to. Do you go out of your way to give God seasons of your life? Especially if he's blessing you in a greater way in different seasons of your life. So this is why I think Abel had a better attitude and he certainly uh, had an approach to God that was different. We begin with zero and then we accumulate. Now you'll, you'll hear a lot of stories from uh, older couples that have been married a long time who uh, didn't come from a whole lot of money. And you'll hear stories of how people started, you know, below zero sometimes. And then you'll also hear stories from couples how when they first got married, they, they didn't have all of the th- kids coming along, then the gender reveal party. Okay, then you got gender reveal party and people show up with 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 gifts. And then then you have the uh, baby shower. And if you got friends all over the place, then you might even have baby showers in different states. Okay, and, and then when it when it's time to get married, then we, we register, as you see people do all across the nation. And then when they register, you, you look at what, what's on the registry and hardly anything under twenty five dollars. You got you got his microwave, his brand new washing machine. You know, you got you, you got a California king size bed and, and so on and so forth. So so a lot of times today people get started on the first day. With more than some of your grandparents had, even after they'd been married 15, 20 years. You see? Yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> when you hear the stories of people who work to obtain what they have, you, you have a different motive, you have a different attitude, and oftentimes a greater appreciation to give to God because they're so grateful that God has blessed them the way that he has. Yeah. It, it really means a whole lot. Abel was so much better than Cain because Abel's heart towards God was different. Turn to Genesis 4. Let's just see this up close and personal and see what God said as he testified of Abel. Genesis 4. Now, don't misunderstand all those statements I made uh, about all these different things that, that people are doing today. We're, we're quite happy, and I think everybody's quite happy to be a blessing to anybody and to help any uh, couple and young person when they're, when they're getting along. I'm just saying that things are so different now than they were decades ago, you see. Yeah, oftentimes people got married in a home years ago, right in the living room, and so on and so forth. Genesis 4. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel and Abel was keeper of the sheep, but Cain was tiller of the ground. I think it'll make some farmers mad if we tell them the first farmer was a killer. Killer tiller. Verse three. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. See, see, he brought something and he did what he was supposed to do. And where do you think he learned this? He learned this from his mom and dad. God still had a relationship with these folks. Verse four. Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock 
and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. What was he bringing? Was he bringing butter? Was he bringing milk? What all was he bringing? You see. But verse five. But unto Cain and his offering, he had no respect and Cain was angry and his countenance fell. So obviously in this relationship God had with Cain and Abel, God communicated to Cain that he was not pleased. You understand? He communicated that to him. And when Cain realized that, rather than saying, Lord, forgive me, I can do better. He got angry. And in his anger, he directed it towards the one God was pleased with, his sibling. And verse number five tells us his countenance fell. So he wasn't pleased. God wasn't pleased. Now Cain isn't pleased, but God didn't kill Cain because of his displeasure. But Cain, look what he said to Cain. Why are you wroth? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door and unto you shall be his desire and shall you'll rule over him. So he said, look, if, if you do good, you're going to be fine. But if you're going to have a bad heart and you're going to do what's wrong, you can expect problems because sin is just outside your front door every time you leave the house. You can either step over it or step into it. You can rule it, master it, or it can rule and master you. And Paul even told us in the book of Romans, sin should not have dominion over you. That's what he said. But this man Cain, it had dominion over him. So Cain became so obsessed with his anger and, and, and mad about this and stewed and brewed over this, that in verse eight, he talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. I bet you Abel didn't even see it coming. I mean, I would have thought he would at least try to defend himself. This man killed his own kin because of a sacrifice and because of God's pleasure. With his brother's sacrifice. So if this teaches us anything, it shows you what can happen when there's jealousy. If somebody looks and sees that God is smiling on someone close to them rather than smiling on them, it'll produce jealousy. It can if you don't keep your heart right. But Abel, he never one time allowed his faith in God to be shaken by Cain's relationship with King, with 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 uh, with Cain, if if everybody else is going in the wrong direction, you still should stay in the right direction with God, and don't let everybody else's relationship, even if it's falling apart, do not let it affect yours. Abel died in the faith. He did. He died in the faith. And so when uh, he killed his brother, the Lord said to Cain, "Where is your brother?" And here's what Cain said: "I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper?" See, well, what you, you, I mean, it, it, Abel was the one who's the keeper of sheep. Do you think I'm supposed to be the keeper of my brother? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. God is telling Cain, I saw what you did. God sees. Yep. And now you're cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Now let's go back to Hebrews 11. So you can see here that God testified of Abel's gifts. Cain and Abel started off the same way with the same mom and dad. They had 
the same God, the same opportunities. They could approach God in the same way. Although they had different occupations, God was ready to receive similar gifts from them and be happy with them. But Cain chose not to go the way of faith. He chose another road. And in choosing that, you can see what the fruits of doubt and unbelief and worry and jealousy and all of those things are led to murder. So coming back to Hebrews 11, verse four, then you can see that Abel obtained witness that he was righteous. Now, he was not self-righteous. And I guarantee you, Abel was not running around saying to Cain, nan, 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 God likes me. He wasn't doing that at all. Cain knew God was pleased with Abel because God expressed to Cain his displeasure in how he's been acting. And do you realize that in our relationship with God, if the Lord wants to express his displeasure with us, do you know how he does that? Through the Holy Spirit. The scripture says, if your heart condemns, you know that God is greater. God, the Holy Ghost is able to come in and convict you when you're not offering to God what he desires in the manner that he desires. Yeah. But I think what we all want is for God to testify to us of great gifts. If if you're if you're faithful and little, God can open up the door for you to be able to handle greater things. That makes sense. And if, you, if you've ever heard um, Randy talk a little bit about his time working on some of these military bases and dealing with a, a lot of uh, uh, these accounting programs and having to audit these different people, dealing with millions and millions of dollars. But I, I know from the military, if he was not a person that had a good fitness report and was a person of character, he had never made it into a position where they had made that even possible for him to see all of that. Let's see. So you, you start here and be faithful and God opens up doors. You know, when I, when I came to, to Nebraska, I had a military sea bag and I had a couple of books, a Bible, a hymn book. And, uh, and that's, that's where we began. And, and then Tiff, comes along. And when we first got married, first house we had was just north of the church. And one of the people in the church got that for us so that we have a place to stay. Because they knew, they said, well, look, if we don't have a place for the pastor to live, why in the world would the pastor stay here? So that was our first place. And we stayed there, had the time of our life, had had this old bed in it that, I mean, just had a super big dip down in the inside. And no matter where you laid in the bed, everybody rolled to the center. So, so Tiff and I just loved that. No matter how it worked up, worked out, we ended up in each other's arms. Just lovely, you know, lovely. But we'd get up in the morning, look out the window there, and just south of the house, there are cows mooing and making all kind of noise and everything like that. And it's annoying, absolutely annoying. There was no money in the church when we began, so there was no salary. So there were people in the church, a guy who was a mechanic, he'd fix the car we had if we had a problem. We had people in the church that had hogs, 
and people that had cows, we had beef, we had pork, and people were bringing stuff. And then finally, when it got to where uh, the offerings and tithes and things started coming in, then they put us on a, on a little salary. And I think it was like $100 a week or something like that they were giving us. And, and, and here I was still going out traveling to preach because I needed to make sure I supplemented what we were doing. But I knew if the church was ever going to be what it needed to be, I had to be there to preach the gospel. But oh my, those those early days were there, there weren't a whole lot of whole lot of resources there, but there was a whole lot of joy and a whole lot of happiness and wonderful memories. Well, the, the Lord started blessing and doing a lot of different things. And you know, before we came up here, when I was down at Jimmy's, I, I'd hear in those prayer meetings. He'd, he'd announce a prayer request. There'd be sometimes 30 or 40 of us in a 10 a.m. prayer meeting, 6 p.m. prayer meeting. And, and he'd say, uh, folks, we, we've got to pray. We've got to have eight million dollars by the end of the day. Eight million dollars. I mean, who talks like that? I mean, he talks about eight million dollars like somebody would talk about eight hundred dollars or eight thousand dollars. Eight million dollars we've got to have for TV or payroll or whatever it was. But but what it taught me was that. You can walk with God, have a vision. God will bring provision. And when God begins to bless you and you see things that are bigger than other people have seen, they can't even understand the numbers you're talking about sometimes. You see? Yeah. So we just walked with God, trusted God. We brought Hilton up here. Then Hilton said, why don't you why don't you guys consider uh, coming on board with us and leaving here and just traveling with us and just preaching the gospel? I said, oh, no, can't do that. feel like this is where... We're supposed to be. Then he said, well, come on my advisory board. Came on the advisory board. He said, come on the, the big boards. And I'm on the big board and I'm watching. And I mean, here's a minister bringing in more than a million dollars a year. I mean, he goes preach in uh, Detroit or somewhere offering for five days preaching. $100,000. You've never shaken hands with somebody made $100,000 for preaching for five days. But God was blessing him. But I'm sitting there looking at all of this. And and what God is showing me is that if you're just faithful and walk with God, you're fine. You would have never thought Hilton's ministry was bringing in that kind of money because he just drove a regular car. Didn't have a a whole lot of uh, excess in the way that he lived. Just a normal, average, everyday guy. And being on that board, setting his salary with all the money coming in, he still didn't make more than $75,000 a year plus expenses. Kept working, kept serving God. World Ministry Fellowship said to me one day, we want you to come on the executive board. We want you to take over missions, took over missions, looked at the budget, see what's going on. They said, "Okay, $375,000 is what we have for the budget for missions. It's a lot of money. And 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 even now, when when I'm helping send people different places and sending money to different people to make sure that they have what they need in different parts of the world, I still go back and think of the fact that there was a time we didn't have a whole lot of money in our pocket, but we're so grateful that people can be blessed today because we're faithful. All the fellowships we have are self-sufficient. Praise God. Yeah. Praise God. And and if we walk with the king, I have no doubt that we can present to God a more excellent sacrifice than anybody who's of a wicked mind. 
Don't ever be concerned with how much you give. Always be concerned with how you give it. Jesus sat there in Luke uh, chapter 21, and he's watching all these people come back and forth. There's a little woman there, didn't have a whole lot of money, but she put in what she had. And Jesus said, look at all these people coming back and forth, putting in. This woman here has put in more than them all. That's an important thing. Don't ever look at what you give as insignificant because it is very important to God and God will testify of your righteousness and your heart when people are willing to listen. The final thing we'll say, God testifying of his gifts, plural, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Here's a man whose blood was crying out from the ground, but yet God was still testifying about the gifts that he brought to the king. I really do hope we can live like that, that God would testify about what we bring to the king. On on several occasions, Tiff and I have been fortunate enough to be able to give a vehicle or a car or something to somebody that was in in need. But when, when, when God blesses you to be able to be a blessing to other people, always remember that blessings have a way of coming back towards you. They really do come a hundredfold sometimes. 30-fold, 60-fold. You don't have to run around chasing them. All you just need to do is be obedient to love people and bless people. And when you present your offerings to the king back there in the box, you're not giving your offerings to me. I'm not God. I'm not Melchizedek. I'm not giving mine to you. You're not God. You're not Melchizedek. But by faith, we walk over and we drop in what God has given to us because we're grateful that he's prospered us. We have something to give. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a beautiful thing to have something to give to God and know that you have something to give because he gave it to you in the first place. If you never forget that, you'll always, always be blessed. And so that's as far as we'll go with the benefits of believing God here we can see that it affects how we give and the attitude and the motive of our heart. And, and knowing so many of you in here, as I do, I know you folks are givers and you have enlarged hearts to be a blessing to a lot of people. And you have been and are a blessing to so many, so many people. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We are happy that Hebrews 11 is so clear. And Lord, we don't ever want to be like Cain, but we certainly do want to follow the example of Abel. Any man that could present offerings to you and you still testify about him even after he is dead, that's a man we need to think about and consider. So, Father, we love you and we praise you. Continue to prosper all of us in accordance with your will, your way, even as our soul prospers. And we're going to love you and honor you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Praise God.